Good morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink. I'm here with my friend Ted Chilowitz, futurist at Viacom's Paramount Picture. And it's this week in XR, April 30th, 2021. Sounds crazy to say that date, Ted. How are you today? I'm good. It has been an interesting now, what, 17, 18 months in uh, the, the bubble upon bubble upon bubble that is now starting to stretch a little bit and everybody's vaccinated or you know getting vaccinated and uh, things are starting to take the next step in the equation. So well, that's, here we a are. that's a great segue into our first story. Uh, we're we're going to go through the top of the news pretty quickly this week, folks. We've got Jay Wright, who just launched an amazing 3D display called Campfire, which is ba based in part on the old Meta headset. Uh, they went out of business, I believe, at the end of 2018. Uh, they had a very charismatic founder and a big vision, but uh, they got the timing exactly wrong. Uh, so it's great to see that somebody, some team has taken that tech and really realized some of its tremendous potential. So we'll hear more about that in a few minutes, but uh, uh, Ted brought up uh, the new normal and uh, conferences are giving us a bit of a preview of what that means. Um, Tribeca uh, has taken probably the most interesting approach. The, the most obvious approach is CES is saying they're in the real. It's in January, everybody will be masked up. I think there'll be a lot of pent up demand. Uh, the big unknown is the international contingent, which is, become epically large at, at CES and could uh, count for at least 25% of the people there. So uh, we shall see uh, how other countries are feeling about uh, people coming and going as casually as we used to in the real. And then we've got uh, the most interesting, so Burning Man said, no, they're not going this year. Uh, no, no word on them from them about the virtual Burning Man, although uh, Black Rock City does exist in alt space uh, VR. Uh, and is probably one of their most, continues to be one of their most interesting uh, destinations. But we've got uh, the Tribeca Inter uh, Interactive uh, as part of the Tribeca Film Festival. And they've taken perhaps the most interesting approach. They've still got some VR that's going to be uh, local and they've got an extensive and highly transparent uh, sterilization protocol to make people feel okay about sharing headsets. Uh, I think it's only half a dozen VR exhibitions are live, but that is, um, you know, exactly 600% more than zero. Yeah. Uh, they've also, in addition, they're doing a, a pure VR thing in the Museum of Other Realities. And, uh, but the part that has me the most exciting, excited is they've got uh, mobile AR art all over the city. Yeah. Which I think is a brilliant idea. It's perfect for the times. Um, location-based things that get us outside is exactly what people need right now. Right. And this is kind of this, this hybrid uh, sort of, the, the again, what we describe in this term, the new normal, the hybridization of a live in the real world event and the digital assets and the digital accessibility. So they're sort of taking these baby steps to try and figure out how do you cultivate a live audience because that is so important to festival culture, but also expand upon their digital footprint. And I, I hither back to a day, um, it was in the last year or two, when Apple did a very similar thing where they uh, engaged a number of AR artists and throughout New York City, you could use your uh, iPhone and you could wander around the city, hold the phone up and see this, these big kind of ribbon art things kind of happen. 
Uh, and a couple of years ago, Tribeca did this with Bose uh, on site when you and I were there, Charlie, with a, yeah. a visual experience. You wore the Bose audio headsets, you held up your smartphone and there was a visual experience that wasn't really there. Precursors to the wearable uh, age that we feel like we're all heading into over this next you know, five year span or so. So our last subject, our last news piece before we get into our interview with Jay is that Proxima, a UK company that does a kind of see what I see technology for surgeons so they can remotely guide an attending surgeon conceivably on the other side of the world uh, as they attempt a procedure that could generally be done only by a specialist. But of course, most people in the world don't have access to a specialist. So this is a compelling idea. Uh, and they've raised 49 million total for it. Uh, so it's interesting to see AR kind of becoming normal and expected and a regular thing. And of course, it's, it's uh, exciting to see it actually making a life or death difference in people's lives. So I'm sure the VCs behind it, which includes um, a number of American Silicon Valley firms, uh, that's what makes them excited about it. Uh, any example of XR for good should be seized upon by all evangelists and waved around like a flag. <laughs> Agreed. And, and I would say out of all the AR mixed reality use cases, this may be the most overtly obvious one is the paint by numbers effect, right? For heavy light industry and healthcare, kind of the three main verticals, and then every other vertical you want to touch that requires some sort of remote layer to show somebody what to do in a very precise, very, you know, and, way beyond GPS. And ridiculously small, right? I mean, yeah. you know, surgery sites are extremely small. So yes, of course. to have instruments and annotations and everything in there, uh, you know, is a, is a bit of an art form. Uh, because obviously you don't want to overwhelm uh, the people who are present with too much other information. So uh, interesting, good traction for Proxmi and XR in medicine. Uh, we've seen a number of these stories over the past few months. So uh, this is clearly something that's happening. Now let's turn to our guest, Jay Wright, uh, the founder of Campfire. Our guest this morning is Jay Wright, CEO of a new XR uh, display system called Campfire. Uh, it's a head-mounted display that I used last week, and it has crystal clear optics. So objects float in front of you uh, as if they were really there with incredibly high resolution. And multiple participants can share the simulation either locally or remotely on any device they have. It is truly amazing and a great pleasure to introduce my friend, Jay Wright. Jay, it was great to see you in the real. I was just saying, you know, Jay is a friend that I take for granted because we just see each other at conferences all year. And yeah. all of a sudden, he's like a long lost brother appearing. Uh, and not only that, but he's got this amazing new device with him. Uh, congratulations, Jay. Uh, fresh out of stealth with $8 million in venture capital. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Campfire. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. Great, great to be here. And I've, I've missed seeing you face to face. And I've missed seeing so many people are even talking to him because we've been in the stealth tunnel for a couple of years. So it's just so great and exciting to be, uh, to be out and about. So yeah, Campfire is really realization of, of a capability that I've been trying to do for a long time. I think a lot of people have been trying to do for a long time. I mean, we've all seen these visuals, whether it's science fiction or other AR folks that, you know, you see these visuals of people standing around a table and they're collaborating with this high fidelity 3D content and some are actually there and some are remote. And uh, 
you know, I think as most of us know, if we try to stitch together today's devices and applications and actually realize that, like the experience falls a little short of, of what those visuals look like. And, and it turns out that that use case, right, of getting people around that, that high fidelity content, that's really, that's really compelling. And that's really, really valuable. Um, certainly for engineering and design, for sales and marketing and healthcare, defense. I mean, it go, goes on and on. So look, because uh, you know, I couldn't make this happen in, in just software in my past, um, we decided, hey, we're gonna rethink this whole thing, take a few steps back and, and uh, do hardware and software that works together and, and just solve the thing full, full stack. And that's what we've done with, with Campfire. You know, by focusing specifically on this use case, we got these beautiful things called constraints that allowed us to design something totally new with a completely new approach and a number of innovations that just get over big challenges and barriers to adoption of the past. So, and, and Jay, device, this has an interest. Oh, go ahead, Charlie. No, I was just going to say the interesting thing is you've really hyper targeted a certain use case and a certain industry design and engineering. Yeah. Uh, rather than trying to build a Swiss army knife that is all things to all people, you've really focused on those professionals. And I think one of the most compelling endorsements of that approach is that Frog Design, the, the famous Silicon Valley design shop that used yeah. to be involved with Apple, uh, was your partner in designing uh, the headset. And yeah. uh, they are now using it as part of their design workflow. Yeah which I don't think there could be a bigger compliment than uh, a company like Frog adopting your technology after helping to, you to build it. Yeah. Look, I mean, when, when I started this at the very beginning, I wanted to make sure that we have people on board um, that were top of their field for the type of customer that we we're going after. And, and Frog was at the top of that list, right? So that we went in with the very first prototype of the system, you know, they were, they were interested. Um, when COVID hit, um, that interest took a whole new level because it just became so much more strategic and so much more of a pain point. And, and that's where, uh, that's where we jumped in and, and worked together. And, uh, you know, they, they sprinkled their, their pixie dust all over our brand and all over our devices. And I'm just super pleased with, with the result, but Charlie, you, you made a great point before that's worth emphasizing focus, focus on a particular use case. Look, I, I just, I don't think that, that we're at a stage today where you can do a general purpose thing that goes on your head that realizes all the visions that people have for this stuff. We're, we're not there. We're just not there. There's too many trade-offs involved. So I think for things to be successful in the, you know, the near to midterm, you really got to really focus on the use case and make sure every technology decision you're making, every feature decision you're making is in service of that use case. And if it's not, you probably don't need it. Yeah, I was I was going to bring up because broadly, as as folks like Charlie and I study this space, the the unlayering of the onion of the story of mixed reality is starting to become somewhat similar to if you track backwards into the age of the the computer titans that exist today yeah. and how many different moments of acquisition and pieces and parts and things that were assembled and reassembled and brought yeah. back to life in new ways that ultimately created the right moment and i think yeah. campfire might be one of those stories right because you, there's an interesting backstory of devices and companies that lived and dropped and then disappeared and, and came were, back so maybe I, you want to 
I've got to bring up the other room that Ted is referring to, which is Meta, of course. Yes. As soon as yeah. I started posting about Campfire, you know, I was like buried with a tidal wave of, is it Meta? What's yeah. its relationship to Meta? Yeah. So what can you tell us about that, Jay? Yeah, so I'll tell you, um, I'm sure you guys remember Meta and the Meta 2. Of course. Um, you know, I put that thing on a number of times and I'm like, oh my God, this is this is by far the best sort of display system I've seen. I mean, it's not a consumer form factor, but if we're just talking about visuals, like, oh my God. So we didn't uh, we didn't do any direct work with with Meta when when I was running the, the before you business. But after the the whole kind of meta meta thing um, met its fate, I don't know, some some months later. I, uh, I got a call, actually a text message from somebody that said, hey, um, you ought to talk to these guys that bought the meta assets. And I'm like, they, they did what? <laughs> and, and so, so I, I talked to these guys, it ended up being this um, OTV, these VCs. And we talked a little bit about kind of what was there and what they'd purchased in this asset pool. And, and I went and, and I took a look actually went up to the Bay area and went and took a look at some, some demos and looked at the patent portfolio and I was like, Hmm, wow. Might be something there, there. And, and look, uh -huh. there were, there were three, there were three things that there were three things that struck my interest. Okay. One was, um, there was a next generation like visor optical element beyond the, the meta two that was pretty much ready to go and hadn't been commercialized. Right. And, and that was like, okay, key, key ingredient. Um, number two, there's a pretty substantial patent portfolio, right? And, and coming out of Qualcomm, you know, I obviously realized the value of a patent portfolio. And I feel like if you're going to build something big in this space, you've got to have uh, a substantial patent portfolio around, whether it's your stuff or others, because although people aren't making money here yet, when they do, you know, sparks are going to fly. <laughs> and, and then the, the third thing was, was the brand. Like, you know, I, I thought there was some net equity in the, in the meta brand and, and that we'd use it. And, um, you know, as it, as it happened, we, we didn't, you know, I kind of changed my position on net equity in, in the, in the brand, but, uh, you know, those were, those were some key, key assets and key building blocks. So, you know, there's, there's not a lot of the same people from that former company. There's, there's what we have one person who was formerly with meta, but you know, those, those assets were definitely key building blocks that we mixed together with many others to realize this new product. So, you know, it's all, it's all new people, it's a new strategy, it's a new company, it's new investors. Um, but, you know, some of the, the building blocks we work from came from, came from the meta company and, and there's some great stuff there. Yeah, and that, that makes sense to a lot of us that really track this space deeply is yeah. the bones of this technology go run deep and, and it requires okay. a lot of steps to the equation to get to where we are today and probably yeah. get to the next 10 years, it's going to evolve and there's going to be a whole bunch more different pieces and parts of this. Yeah. Some of that will succeed, some that won't, but we're all angling towards a trajectory and you're proving a part of that trajectory that, that's pretty valuable. Yeah, I think, I think we're at a, a little bit of a, a magical, maybe renaissance time for this whole space because there is a confluence of, of core technologies that are not available that wasn't five years ago or wasn't 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, I, I was telling somebody yesterday, campfire is but one recipe that can be made from those, those ingredients. And, and look, I, I think there's many others. And some of those ingredients came from, you know, guys that took big swings and companies that took big swings and aren't around things like, things like Meta. And, you know, some of, those, some of those building blocks are, 
our offspring of, you know, Apple with things like ARKit and Microsoft with things like Mesh. I mean, we've got, we've got great stuff to build from for the people that know how to, to mix these things together. Well, Marin told me that uh, Meta would be back and, uh, and here we are. So <laughs> I, do you have any contact? Marin, for those of you who are listening, was the charismatic founder of Meta. Uh, and his premise for Meta was screen replacement right? Yeah. Monitors are bad. We'd rather have multiple monitors uh, in our space around you. So he was thinking of people at work, people in the finance industry, uh, journalists who have to have a lot of screens and a lot of tabs open, and why not make that spatial? Um, and there were two big problems. One is the use case was wrong, because nobody's going to sit at work with multiple headsets on, with, with a headset on for the benefit of multiple screens, which they probably have already. So they were scrambling for a use case. And of course, the other uh, problem with, uh, with Meta, which Marin uh, ultimately thought was its downfall, was a technology hurdle, um, because they had this curvilinear glass, which you do not have. They had this curvilinear glass and they could never really properly account for the distortion that that created oh. for the text on the screens. Yeah. So, um, and then of course, met, they famously ran out of money, probably the worst possible moment in the trough of disillusionment. And their investors couldn't bail them out. They claimed there were Chinese investors who had bailed as a result of the uh, emerging American trade war with China. So uh, that was the end of Meta and they were bought out. But it's a great story. It was a good idea. Uh, it just was ahead of its time. And, um, you know, unlike uh, what you're doing, Jay, it just didn't have the focus. You can't make yeah. a headset for everyone yet. It's so hard. I'll tell you, focus is just so hard in this space. I mean, even when I was doing Vuforia at at Qualcomm scale, right? I mean, you just got, you, you've got partners coming in from, from everywhere with different ideas. You know, so, somebody that's really high profile in their industry, whether it's Hollywood or healthcare or automotive, uh, you got executives that get excited about going different directions and doing different things. It's really, really hard to, yeah. to keep focus. And, and uh, the other thing that makes it so hard is that the, the end game for this stuff is so damn exciting. You know, like the, the notion of a device that could get rid of every screen that we have in our lives. I mean, like, I, I don't know what's more exciting than that. And, and I think that gets uh, maybe a little intoxicating for people. Well, because we're not just talking about technology now, we're talking about the future of mankind. So yeah. we could have some, we yeah. some small effect on that is very intoxicating. Um, yeah. Before we let you go, Jay, let's get down to nuts and bolts and just describe to people um, yeah. the whole hardware and software system, because it's not just a headset. The headset is but one output. Yeah. I mean, we tried to, we tried to knock down a few big barriers. One was the visual experience, which we, we needed to address with, with AR. Uh, we wanted to take on some of the comfort issues with VR too. So we, we saw both of those really with, with a single headset that allows you to switch between AR and VR. It's and one of the first ones I've seen. I mean, Enreal does this yeah. also, uh, but it's one yeah. of the first ones I've seen that, that really takes advantage of a insanely simple solution, which yeah. is if you clip a occluding visor onto the headset, now it's VR. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's that simple. Yeah. <laughs> it can, well, it can uh, be. One thing it I wanted be. to tell people, 
was it's dependent yeah. on a desktop device that looks a little bit like a mushroom phone that was run over by a truck. It's flat. It lays across the desk. I guess it puts yeah. out a magnetic signal or something that that anchors the image yeah, the reflected yeah. on the screen. Look, the other the other big challenge, and I know you guys know because you've tried these things, but trying to set up an environment so that you can get multiple AR and VR devices together all in the same room or different locations is an exercise in frustration at, <laughs> at best. And, and you got to set it up. And then once you set it up, you know, you got to actually get the experience to, to light up and be there and then have people know where the hell the experience is to look at. And, and there's so much friction in this that it's almost, it's almost comical. So, so what we did is said, hey, we got we to get rid of all this friction. And the end game for what we want is we want the robustness, the intuitiveness and reliability of a monitor, just our own traditional monitor for these shared holographic experiences. You know, monitor, you turn it on, it works all the time, whether one person is looking at it or five people are looking at it. It, it works in a room full of crap. It works in a white room. It works in all kinds of rooms. And and so the, the way we achieve that is through this device called the console. So the console is essentially acting as if it were a monitor or a 3D monitor, 3D projector, however you want to think about it. And it's completely intuitive, right? There's none of this. I'm putting on my headset and like, hey, where am I? Where, where are you? Uh, hey, right. Ted, what are we looking at? Like, that doesn't happen. Yeah, you know where to look. As simple as a monitor. Now, the other, well, the other thing that we've done is this thing houses our, our tracking system, right? So um, this will work in any indoor environment, but this is not about a mobile user. This is about a knowledge worker in, a, in an office or indoor environment. And it instantly unifies everybody in the same coordinate system, boom. So everyone's looking at the same thing, the same time. They know where the content's gonna appear. They know where the other people are gonna appear around it and, and it just works. So I could tell you after, you know, someone that's spent more than a decade building the low level kind of computer vision and tracking tech that, you know, is, is another way to, to, to skin this cat, man, this is just a really elegant, simple solution. Um, and, and it's, it's really, really intuitive for users also. Where can people, well, and I'm, I'm going to give you an example of, of where some of the challenges that you're talking about exist, even in the here and now. For those yeah. that happen to be watching this podcast today rather than listening to it, there are really interesting bandwidth challenges today. Charlie, you've got some issues. Jay, you're, you've been out of sync in the visual for a little while. Oh, and this is on a very mature, very now historic platform that has had huge amounts of infrastructure and dollars poured into it. And yeah. it doesn't always work the way that it's supposed to. And today is actually a really good visual example. What you're trying to do and what many others in the sector are trying to do is really crack the space of the next thing that requires all of this stability that by its nature isn't anywhere close to being stable yet. And uh, you know, out of the 10, 15 companies that I'm sort of interfacing with on a daily basis, yeah. we're nowhere near the end game. And that's actually kind of what might be exciting about it. Um, and Charlie, and I think the, the thing we refer to the most on this show, kind of maybe our like Northern star is that crazy company General Magic, right? And how long ago they started and how long and how the many twists and turns in the road it took to get The first smartphone that nobody wanted because at that time right? they, they didn't even have a mobile phone. So that's, right. uh, that's probably another show, but my, my first startup was doing software for Apple's Newton. 
There you go. Same time. Right? And, and maybe just, I don't think it's fair. Yeah. Well, maybe just pop. Jay mentioned a little bit about euphoria because euphoria is a really key part of the historical importance of what we're doing, and you were deeply involved in that. And I think our listeners would like to hear people, about all people that. are still using euphoria. Many oh, yeah. absolutely developers prefer uh, it over ARKit. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a it's a cross platform ab abstraction. So I think people that you know are using euphoria, they're they're using ARKit under the hood. They just don't have to worry about it. Yeah. So so euphoria is. Um, a product in a business I actually I built at Qualcomm. So actually started out three three or four people in, in R and D doing some virtual reality stuff. And I don't know, I think we spent a uh, couple months kind of going down a VR like path and determined that uh, that AR was going to be a better strategy for the company because it was going to drive a lot more compute and there was a lot more possibilities and it was something that we could uh, take advantage of in in chips. So to make a long story short, I, I built Euphoria kind of from the ground up to um, what I think today is still the leading sort of software platform for building AR applications, whether it's for handheld devices or devices on, on your particularly, head. Particularly if you want to use computer vision is not based on QR codes. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it's expanded. The whole, the whole idea there is very, you know, very similar to I think what people are calling the AR cloud, right? So we were trying to give people that computer vision layer that allows them to anchor their content to the world. And we started doing that with individual sort of images and then moved on to, uh, you know, actual patches of the world kind of anchors as they're referred to today. The other thing we did yeah. with Euphoria, right, uh, right after we, uh, we sold it to PTC is we went from the, the developer platform into the application space, kind of moving up the stack. And, and that's where, uh, or when we launched Euphoria Chalk in the remote assist area, which I think Charlie was probably the, the last time we were face to face. Yeah, I think that was AWE six seventeen, maybe. I think so. I think so. Yep. So yeah, really yeah. Goal. So it was I would, it was an amazing experience, as you can imagine. You know, doing that at, at Qualcomm, um, boy, I just I got an appreciation for obviously the technology stacks, kind of what everybody was doing everywhere of all sizes. Uh, but most important and most interesting for me, for what my passion is, which is kind of, you know, building, building products and crafting a path to market, I got a really good appreciation for the barriers to adoption for all these various use cases, right? And whether it's consumer or enterprise and, and really- it's, it's, you know, I agree with you. You have to take the friction out if you want people to use this all the time. Yeah, I, mean, I would, I would it's use- work, It's work, you could force somebody to do something yeah. that's inconvenient, but you can't get them to love it or to or to want it, yeah. and I think that's 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 why it has to be that easy. It's sort of in a way. Why does Zoom work? Well, it's just one click and you're in. Has to, has to. There can't right. be any training involved. I can't have to teach you to use this. And and our goal with campfires, you got to take this stuff out of the box. You got to be able to plug it in with no more difficulty than you plug in a monitor, and then you download a couple apps and go. That's what. That's how easy it's got to be. I agree. Yeah, Jay, I, I would say I would say Euphoria was one of the original, you got to start somewhere to get somewhere moments. Like yeah. that's the hardest part of this business is people that are starting new things and new ways to visualize and create the world around us yeah. within compute. And then many, many generations later, we get AR core and AR kit and all these other iterations, but it all had to start with people like you that were kind of dancing the dance when the dance floor was really rocky, like impossible them to dance. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that you get a lot of credit for that from in my book. Since hey, we're, we're out of time, you guys. We could go on, obviously, for hours, the three of us. 
Jay, it is great to see you. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today. Uh, there's so much to talk about. Campfire, new 3D design system, bait, uh, targeting the design and engineering industries. Uh, Jay, where can people take a look and play with this new technology? Uh, hit the website, campfire3d.com. Great, they're giving trials to corporations. You could sign up uh, if yeah. you are- uh, There's, in the a, there's an early access program. It's called our Pioneer Program and there's an application there. So hit the website and, and apply and We'd, uh, we'd love to engage. Thank you. So that's our show for this week, everybody. Thanks for uh, spending uh, half an hour with us and we'll look forward to getting with you next Friday. Jay, have a great weekend. Ted, same to you. You too. Thanks, Thanks guys. Bye-bye. Thanks,